Welcome to the River City Church Podcast and a message by our lead pastor, Jason Powers. Our prayer is that this message would inspire and encourage you, build your faith, and point you to the life-changing love of Jesus. May you enjoy the goodness of God as you follow him today. Welcome. Glad that you're here. Hope you're having a great day. Hey, we're going to jump in. We're going to do our confession in just a second. If you're here for the first time, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Before we do our confession, uh, I have some very cool, some very good news. Uh, some, most of you know, if you're here recently, we, uh, we've been in the process of purchasing 40 acres of land over off of 1102 behind uh, Resolute. That's going to be our new home. And uh, this week, because of radical generosity on your part and others, we were able to retire the debt on that land this week. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was about a 15-year note, and we retired it in like 51 weeks, so that's good. So we are uh, ahead of the schedule on that. Here's, here's what that means. We're going to be talking a little bit about what the next phase means. Having dirt is great. It is great to have a piece of property. We'd like a building. Uh, and so that's going to be coming down the road. Uh, if you're here for the first time, <laughs> listen, you chose to be here, so we're glad. I think the Lord has something for you, if I can. Not really. Um, but our, our number one thing right now is we are just overwhelmed with gratitude. And that is what we do. Will you join me in praying for that? Lord, thank you. Just thank you. Uh, it's fitting, I think, in this service where we are absolutely filled to the gills, packed to the rafters to, uh, to thank you for space. And Lord, we know that your timing is perfect, uh, certainly to imagine uh, retiring that debt after less than a year is spectacular and remarkable. And we are just so grateful for your grace, Jesus. Um, and now we ask that whatever for this next phase is that you'll get us ready. Uh, we thank you. And Lord, we confess our unbelievable need for you. You know, that's the thing about that, about that debt is the reminder that you meet every one of our needs. When we needed forgiveness, you came as a savior. When we needed um, to know God, you put on flesh and dwelt among us. Um, and when we needed a property, you opened the hearts of your people. And we are grateful and we thank you. And Jesus, I ask that everything that happens uh, here in this room on that property from the future, I pray that everything would bring you glory. Jesus, that's our desire is to make you famous. This is not about us. This is not about our building, our church. This is about you. And so we thank you. And Jesus, we ask all of these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. Our confession as a church is this. We say this, and this is just a reminder to us. We need grace, and grace is available. And so we say this every week when we gather together. Our confession as a church is we are badly broken. Yes, you are. Grace and peace to you. Want to get Capone? Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife. You pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital. You send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago. That's how you get Capone. That's the Chicago way, right? That's from the movie The Untouchables with an apparently six-year-old Kevin Costner, right? And the timeless Sean Connery. And they're, they're, right, they're set, the setting is uh, Elliot Ness and his Untouchables are trying to get 
Capone. I said, what do you do when you've got a notorious gangster like Al Capone? Well, you got to raise the stakes. You got to make sure that you go get him. They put one of yours in the hospital. You put one of theirs in the morgue. That's escalation. That's what happens. The problem is if that's our ethos in the world, we're all dead. That's not a very fun story to tell. So the question becomes, how do kingdom people respond when wronged? And this idea of kingdom people plants us in our study and our look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Really this big, like, call it the kingdom manifesto. Jesus began in Matthew 4, verse 17, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. And that idea, that word repent, the idea behind repentance is change. It's a turning around. It's a turning away from where you're going to go towards a different direction. And the idea is this Kingdom is different. It's not the same path, the same way, the same avenue. It's different. And when Jesus talked about kingdom people, the people he was talking about were a different kind of untouchables than what Elliot Ness had. These were people that were excluded, those that were sick, those that had chronic illness, those who were ceremonial, ceremonially unclean, excluded from the temple, excluded from worship, they were on the outside, they were left out. And the question is, what do those people do? Now the deal with them is they knew they were excluded. They knew they were on the outside. Sometimes it's harder for us to feel like that way. But we know that we have responses when we're wronged. So that's the question. And being wrong, right? Like we're gonna talk about some stuff really difficult verses today, a really difficult kind of passage of scripture. It's difficult for its challenge. It's difficult for the way that it challenges us, but maybe it's actually simpler. The idea is when you're wrong, and again, I'm not talking about when somebody comes into your, I'm not talking about when somebody carjacks you at at a gunpoint, right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm talking about like when you're wrong, when you're at work, how do you respond to that annoying coworker who's just always like in your face and in your business? And when, you're, when someone takes advantage of you, how do you respond? When you go to HEB and you get a rude cashier, how do you respond to the rude waiter? Do you set them right? Do you tell them, you're rude, you shouldn't do that to me. How do you, how do you respond? When you have a neighbor that keeps your ladder some of you have, do you know this? Some of you are the neighbor with the ladder, right? And you're asking, hey, can I get my ladder back? Yeah, I thought I gave it back to you. You're like, bro, I see it. It's hanging in your garage. Like, you got to give, give me the ladder back. No, I already gave you your ladder back. What do you do? What do you do to very pointed and yet passive aggressive posts on Facebook? Do you respond? Do you say something? Do you let them have it? Do you call them? What do you do when you're wrong when you find yourself on the wrong end of aggression or on the wrong end of a pointed take. Well, the scripture in the book of Exodus tells us the book of Exodus is the story about God setting his people free from slavery. They were in slavery in Egypt, and then God goes and gets them out. And what's interesting is he gets them out, he delivers them, he saves them, if you will, from Egypt, and then he leads them into the wilderness where he gives them the law. So the law is not about escaping slavery. They were already escaped. The law is not about getting into heaven. The law is about how do an escaped, delivered people behave? 
How do a people under the protective covenant of God respond to that? Well, in Exodus chapter 21, Moses writes this, coming from God, it says this, if there is a serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, wound, bruise for bruise. Seems comprehensive enough, right? You know what the problem with that is? We're all blind and toothless. That's not much of a world to live in, is it? But it feels right, doesn't it? See, when Moses wrote this, this was a major evolution in legal thought at the time because what it does is it introduces the idea of proportional response. You hurt me, I'll hurt you back, but only proportionally. But not really proportionally, like like 8% more, Right? Not exactly, just like a, little, like a little bit more. Because we always feel like the wounds against me are like bad. So if you hurt me, I'm just going to hurt you a little bit more. And then the other person's like, well, I'll hurt you 8% more. And it's this nonstop escalation. And so what you have is a constantly escalating retaliation cycle where everybody in the world is getting everybody else getting even for that. What we need is a different approach. What we need is a way that leaves us with actually less violence, with actually less uh, retaliation, with less pain and discord in the world. What we need is a way to take all of that violence and not turn it back around in the world. And it can be all kinds of violence, right? Like it can be physical violence, it can be emotional violence, it can be verbal violence, it can be all kinds. How do we take all of that that's directed at us and then instead of just turning it around, right, because then we're just waiting for the next turnaround, right? How can we get rid of it? Well, there was this, in 1989, some of you don't even remember 1989. In 1989, the Red Army in China was cracking down on uprisings in the Tiananmen Square, China. And so they went, I mean, they went full out with tanks and guns in the army. And it was this major display of force. Over 2,000 people were killed by the Chinese, the communist Chinese army in Tiananmen Square in 1989. And do you know how it stopped? Do you know how that massacre came to an end? That guy stood in front of tanks until they turned around and went home. We don't even know who he is. If you want to find him online, you have to look for Tank Man. The thing that I love is, look, he's got like his lunch with him right there on the side. The guy's like walking to school and he's like, oh, that seems like political unrest. I should go stop it. And so he just stands in front. And if you go watch the videos, right, the guy's like, the tanks are trying to get him around, get around him. And he's like, nope, nope, I got it. I'm here, right? What that guy did, he didn't fire a shot. He didn't punch anybody in the mouth. He didn't hold a rally. He simply got involved and he stood there. Tank Man is an example of the power of non-retaliation. This is what kingdom people are about. Kingdom people practice non-retaliation to overcome evil with good. Here's the idea behind non-retaliation. If insult is wrong, then it's always wrong, whether you do it to me or I do it to back. If it's wrong for you to insult me, then it should also be wrong if we have integrity for me to insult back. This is the problem. We just have this non-stop cycle of insult and of pain and of aggression and of hurt and of wounding, and it goes around and around and we're taking what we give. The question is, what if someone somewhere, sometime, some way, somehow just said stop and we did it 
and it stopped. Well, Jesus actually said that, but Paul said it as well. In Romans chapter 12, and Romans is the story about the body. Romans chapter 12 is the passage of scripture about the body of Christ. And it's about how we're all together and we all have different gifts and we all have a different purpose and a different perspective. And then if you go down at the end, Romans chapter 12 and verse 17, Paul writes this, listen, do not repay anyone evil for evil. That word anyone is aggressive and it is in your face. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Even the people that pay evil for you, yes, that's what the word repay. It assumes that you have been paid evil. And he says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful what is, do, what is be careful to do right Man, I can't even read. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do you know what? If it is a possible means, that means you go all the way and you make them say, no, I don't want your peace. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. Now listen, here's the why. Do not take my Take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. I just want you to close your eyes and I just want you to imagine the potential for that. And let's be honest. If you're given a choice between your wrath and God's wrath, who do you choose? For you, I mean. We'll talk about that later. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And you're like, I don't want to do that. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. I don't want to do that. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. You're like, perhaps I was hasty in not wanting, right? Because here's the idea. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When Paul tells us not to return evil for evil. He's basing this on this idea that God is just and God actually knows what injustice looks like and God actually knows what injustice is. And not only does God know what injustice is, God sets injustice right. But what it does is say, we don't know the human heart perfectly, their human heart or our human heart. Because what happens is invariably, when we want God to bring justice against somebody for what they have done to us, we have failed to ask God for the same justice for what we have done to others. And so so the safety is to just back and go, God, let's get rid of all of it. Let's take care of all of that. And God says, I am good. You can trust me. And so I want you as kingdom people to respond differently. In Jesus's teaching, it's worded like this. You have heard that it was said Eye for eye and tooth for tooth. We just read that in Matthew chapter 21. What that does, it says, listen, you can't just burn somebody's house down for like getting you a hangnail, okay? Proportionate response. But Jesus says, you've heard about proportionate response in verse 39. But what I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Jesus is so like provocative. I would have rather there, Jesus said, do not resist an annoying person. Because I would go, oh yeah, okay, well fine. I can make a nice theological straw out of that. Good sermons, right? But Jesus said, don't resist an evil person. And you're like, 
but I literally thought that was our job. I literally thought my job as a Christian was to resist evil people. Maybe that is, that's just not what Jesus said. And so if we're following Jesus, what Jesus said is, do not resist an evil person. And then he goes on to get specific about what that looks like. Um, If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, we're going to unpack these here in just a second, but I just want you to let these teachings meditate on you. And right now, like, you may be one who's like, oh, yeah, that doesn't mean what you think. That's, that's not right. Maybe so. But listen, so here's a question I ask as we read through this. If it doesn't mean what it says, surely it means something, right? Surely there's something that Jesus was trying to get across. If it doesn't mean what it says, then I would just say, great, that's fine. Then what does it mean for us to obey this? Someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the left cheek to him also, And then he goes on, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. So let's unpack this a little bit and see what Jesus was up to. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the left cheek to him also. What Jesus is not talking about is physical abuse. Jesus is not talking about the person who just gets waylaid on the side of the road that he has to stay there and be a doormat. Let me speak even more clearly and specifically and directly and intentional. If you are in a physically abused abusive relationship. Ladies, if you are in a physically abusive relationship and you have ever had a pastor or a Christian teacher tells you, tell you that it is your responsibility to stay in that place, I want to tell you that person is wrong. Get out and get safe and let's talk. God's desire is not for you to be a punching bag. Do you know what gives this teeth? When Jesus said, turn the other cheek, We're talking about a guy who had access to legions of angels at his immediate disposal. If Jesus thought he didn't have any recourse, Jesus saying turn the other cheek is not that impressive, right? When an eight-year-old child turns the other cheek for his violent, abusive father, there's nothing noble in that. Jesus is talking about insult. You've seen the old cartoons, right, with the glove slap, And it's a duel, right? And then you throw the glove down and it's a duel, right? That's what he's saying. If somebody insults you, a slap on the cheek, let them insult you on the other side too. Here's the idea. Are you ready, Christian? When Jesus says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek on, what Jesus is saying is don't take your offenses so seriously. In other words, stop being so sensitive. Stop getting your feelings hurt. Listen, I've read the end of the book. The kingdom comes. Jesus reigns forever. Whatever blip on the screen here happens doesn't change that. I don't worry, have to worry about the kingdom tumbling. I can be fully here and available. And when things go wrong, I go, oh, well, that's not going to last forever. Oh, that guy's not going to be president forever. That Congress isn't going to last forever. All of those things, because I know that Jesus did, and Jesus had, right? And so when our honor is offended, we want to stand up and yell and fight and scream. "Ah, You can't do that to me. You can't treat me like that. Listen, the problem is our example, Jesus, let Pontius Pilate convict him. Let some no-name Roman soldier drive nails through his wrists and ankles, and Jesus just didn't say anything. 
except forgive them. And so that's the question. What if you just didn't say anything when somebody said something that you didn't like on Facebook? What if you just didn't say anything? What if you just didn't respond when people said hateful things in public spaces? What if we just weren't that shocked that the systems of the world don't produce eternal heavenly fruit? Because that's not what they do. That's not what they're designed to do. What if you just decide as a Christian to say nothing when personally offended? What if we decide that we're going to leave Facebook for the happy husky videos because that's what really is good in the world and that's what we need. We need more of that, right? And so what if when you see that person say that thing and you just know that's ignorant, that's not right, that's not good. What if instead of you dropping a truth bomb on them, what if you went and searched happy husky videos and shared that instead? You're telling me the world wouldn't be a better place? The question is, whose room are you leaving, whose vengeance are you leaving room for? Because God said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Or you can go ahead and take vengeance, whichever is good. I think that the Lord is better at that. Second, he's like, if someone wants to sue you for your shirt, don't just give them your coat also. The idea is like, so don't take your honor so seriously. I'm so honorable. Nobody must say things to me. Don't take your stuff so seriously, if somebody comes, you know, St. Francis, uh, Francis of Assisi, they couldn't keep him in clothes because every time he would go out, if he saw somebody who had less clothes than him, he's like, oh my gosh, you need this. You just take this. Have this. Here. Walter, you need this, bro. Here. That's all you, that's all you, right? <laughs> it's all you, you keep it. Walter, you couldn't pour yourself into my shirt, man. What are you talking about? Strong, Walter. That's why I tossed it to him. I'm like, yeah, me and Walter, we're about the same. <laughs> you know what's hard about giving Walter my shirt? If that shirt is just a shirt, then it's easy, right? I could just go somewhere else and get another shirt. I go, Kohl's has a bunch of shirts. The problem is if I think that I look really good in that shirt and that shirt is part of my identity, then I can't give it to him. If my money is mine and it's my identity, I can't share with people who don't have. If my house or my job or my wife or my kids is my identity, then I can't let go of those things. If my politics and my position and my beliefs are first, if those are my identity, then I can't let go of those things and I can't change my perspective on the things. And the biblical word for those things is idols. And biblically speaking, God has a tendency of coming against every single idol in our lives because he knows that we really don't do well with idols and we need him. And so Jesus is like, don't let stuff come between you and another person. If another person, and he's not saying that they're right. He's not saying that they have a just cause. He's not saying, he's just saying, no matter what the case, if someone wants your stuff, give it to them. And this is a picture of the kingdom. Do you know why? Because in the kingdom, God is the creator. In the kingdom, if we need something, God gives it. In the kingdom, when we run out, God provides more. So I don't have to keep my shirt. I can just throw it to Walter. And he's gonna fold it up right there next to him, which is good. Thank you for that. We don't, we don't have to fight for stuff because we have a God who gives. 
So we're standing over here clamoring, no, mine, 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 mine. And God's like, I can give you more. And more than that, what if God is like, I want them to have that. And I gave it to you so it could go to them. What if the reason we don't feel like we're a part of God's plan as much is because we're holding on to the stuff that God really wants us to give away. And in the kingdom, we all have enough. We don't have to be afraid. So he's like, don't take your honor so seriously. Don't take your stuff so seriously. My favorite one is the last part because he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile with him, go two. What's interesting is when Jesus says, go one mile, what they all would have known that we don't necessarily know is there was actually a Roman law on the book that said a Roman soldier could force any citizen of a conscripted people to carry his luggage, his armor and stuff for one mile, okay? So I could come as a Roman soldier on horseback and go to you and go, you carry my stuff. You didn't have to do it, they would bury you later. It's that easy, right? Good. Now, it's hard to convey to us what that means because, listen, because if you ask me to do something, I just say no, right? Like, like I, just, I just, I don't want it, right? It's hard, where this gets messy is it's hard to understand how hated Romans were, and even more than that, how really hated Roman soldiers were. Because the idea is the Roman soldiers held everybody captive at the tip of a spear at the, at the point of a gun, right? And what's more than that is Jesus didn't make any concessions. See, there was a Jewish law in the book that said, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And what that meant was that on the Sabbath day, you couldn't go beyond a certain distance, beyond a certain number of steps. And that was less than a mile because that was work. And what Jesus didn't say is go the extra mile for the Roman soldier as long as it doesn't violate the Sabbath. See, Jesus wasn't really that concerned about his followers' religious liberty. Because Jesus said, or or Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, he said, right, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And we talk about that a lot. But those verses end with, against such things there is no law. Here's what that means. It is always legal for you to show love to anybody at any time there is no law against who you can love or how much there is no law against who you can give to who you can be patient with who you can be gentle with you are allowed to be gentle and kind and gracious to any human being at any time in any place for as long and as hard as you want That is the kingdom. The kingdom is where everything that divides you and me and everything that divides us from them and them from us and we from you, where all of that is gone. And so this law that said, hey, these enemies, these Roman soldiers at the tip of the sphere, you know what will keep them from forcing you to walk a mile? You know how you can keep them from forcing you to walk a mile? Volunteer to go too. And you go, well, that's just dumb Who would do that? Well, Nick Fox is my friend, right? He was stood up here. He's our associate pastor. If Nick Fox came to me and said, Jason, will you help me move? The first thing I would say is, bro, I'm 45. You need to hire a mover. (laughs) The second thing I would say is, yeah, fine. But I I would do it, right? I would say it like that. I know my back's going to hurt and all that stuff, right? I would do that for Nick because he's my friend. See, when Jesus talks about turn the other cheek, give them your shirt, go the extra mile, Jesus isn't, he's not so much saying, hey, listen, folks, the problem is how you treat enemies. The thing that Jesus is saying is, guys, you've got too many enemies. 
everywhere you turn around, you've got enemies. People who don't do what you want them to do. People who don't talk to you the way that you want them to talk to you. People who don't give you the dessert. People who don't honor and recognize your liberty. You start to see how it sounds like kind of like you are in the center of that circle. And what Jesus said is it's not really about that. He sums it up like this in verse 42. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you, whether that's an enemy or a friend, because what Jesus is doing is undermining this idea of what an enemy is. Give to the one who asks you. Whoever wants to borrow something from you, give it to him. See, what we're talking about is, you know, when you go from Sean Connery and Elliot Ness, Elliot Ness, right, from like, like radical extermination with him to, to like a proportionate response, and then you go that distance, that, that extra distance to like disproportionate grace, that's the kingdom at hand, what it looks like. And listen, when I talk about disproportionate grace, I'm not talking about like... like I'm not talking about like socialism. Like some people in here are like, ah, socialism. Like, you know, please stop. It's not socialism. It's not capitalism either. It's not any of those isms. It's the kingdom. It's what Jesus was like. Listen, we do that because that's what Jesus did, right? And he's like, no, he didn't. Like, I got to say, listen, this is so hard. This is the difference between that first crowd and this crowd. That first crowd... For their whole life, they had been told, you don't measure up. Their whole life, they had been told, you're outside, you're unclean, you're unworthy, you don't belong. The problem is, we get up and come here every week, so we think we do belong. We think we have earned this place. We think this place is for us. And Jesus is like, when I say love my enemy, love your enemies, I'm talking about the way I love you. You disagree with them? So you're going to stay away from them and hate them? Isaiah says, All of your righteousness is like filthy rags. That means the very best thing that you have to offer Jesus is not enough. And you know what he says? Come on, let's go. And he says to us, oh, you want to divide over your differences? You want to divide because they believe different than you? You want to divide because you think they're a threat to what? You want to say you want to kill them because why? Disproportionate grace overwhelms the proportionate response. Jesus never said to kill your enemies. Jesus said to have fewer enemies. That's the kingdom. Don't have enemies. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So how do we do that? You practice godliness by loving, praying for, and doing good to our enemies. Basically, what I mean is we treat our enemies like they are our friends. I will go to great lengths to do nice things for my children. Do you know why? Because I love them. I won't cross, my, cross the street for my neighbor who stole my ladder, Right? What if we just one day went out and bought a new ladder and hung it in our own garage so now we both have ladders because there's plenty of ladders to go around? Or what if you just gently one day went to your neighbor and said, hey, can I borrow your ladder? (laughs) Crazy, right? 
And then what if when you were done with your ladder, you took it back to him? Just because, because it's just a stinking ladder. And what if what happens between people is way more important than what I fill my garage with or what I fill my heart with? Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse um, 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Here's what that, we can take that wrong, right? That you may be children of your Father in heaven. So we can start to think, right, that if we do this, that if we love our enemies, that's the entrance example. Oh, then we can be like, no, but it's like if I brought my son Jackson, my son Jackson is 15 years old, and if he stood here and I had a picture of myself at 15 years old and I put up my 15-year-old face next to Jackson's 15-year-old face, many of you would go, oh, my gosh, like a chip off the old block, right? I got to just like his dad, right? When you love your enemies, when they say you'll be called children of your father in heaven, that's what they're talking about. People are going to walk around and go, man, that guy reminds me of his dad. Who's his dad? Jesus. Just remind, man, Jesus loved me and that guy loves me and Jesus forgave me and that guy forgave me and Jesus speaks kindly. Whew, I wonder what that's about. You'll be like your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Real quick, you know what that means? That means that you can't tell from the outside circumstances who belongs and who doesn't. It's so easy to look at the big house and go, that guy must be blessed. And you look at the poor house and go, why did God send all of his blessings to that big house and none to there? And there's just no correlation. God sends his son and he sends the rain on the evil and the just alike. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Jesus is making this point. If you go to people and you just go, hey, you should follow Jesus. And they look at you and they go, you're just like me. You're not less angry. You're not less divisive you're not you're just like me why do i need your jesus don't even the tax collectors do that and if you greet only your own people what are you doing more than others don't even the pagans do that the question is what's different about us and here's the deal this is not a law this isn't like go out and do that this is the kingdom culture this is what the kingdom is like someday you're going to blink and when you open your eyes you're going to be standing before father and father in eternity in the kingdom of heaven is going to look like this where there are no separations there are no divisions there are no people at odds there is no more war there is no more scarcity there is no more not enough and we are going to be either well practiced in that world or we're going to be radically out of practice and here's the concern i don't like to do things that i'm not good at so what makes me think that i'm going to want to spend eternity being nice to people that i couldn't even spend 50 years being nice to on earth what I do here is practice. And you know what happens? In order for me to be nice to people, I have to confront all of those ugly things in my own heart. Things like pride that says, I am always right because I am always smarter than everybody. I remember that third grade, being in my third grade class. I'm just like, why are all these dumb people in charge? They should let me do this. That may not have been an appropriate or a well-adjusted response, but here I am 45 years old and I still feel the same thing. What if I get over the pride in my heart and just love? What if I get over my own insecurity and just care for people? And again, I said it last week, right? When I start talking about love and grace, everybody thinks it's all squishy and it's not. Love looks like the cross. 
You have not yet resist, you have not yet shed blood in the resistance of sin. I'm not talking about squishy, I'm okay, you're okay. I'm talking about the fierce work of loving people who are different from you, committedly different than you, decidedly different than you, even philosophically, fundamentally different from you. So what we do is we love them. And you're like, I love, love all the time. Listen, love is not a feeling. Love is not a feeling. Listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse four through eight, right? Listen, love is patient. Patience is not a feeling. Patience is an action. It is a behavior. Love is patient. I should get to there. Love is kind. Love does not boast, also action. It is not proud, action. It does not dishonor others, action. It is not self-seeking or easily angered. Are you getting a drift? Action, action, action. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Here's the thing you can do. You wanna talk about your neighbors? What can I, how can I love my neighbors? Forget everything they've ever done wrong to you and just decide I'm not bringing it up anymore. Now, oh, but my father abused me and my father did that. Listen, I'm not saying you gotta have Thanksgiving dinner. I'm saying stop carrying it around. I'm saying go to a counselor Spend the thousands of dollars necessary to get free. Get on your knees before Jesus and, and ask for grace. Ask God to make you heal, to, to heal you, to make you whole. Ask him to give you everything that that person took from you and then let him. But don't keep dragging that, a pers- that abusive person through the rest of your life. Be free. Be free from them. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. These are all actions, and what we can do is we can go out of our way for our enemies to serve them. That will discipline us. That will change our hearts. That will make us right for the kingdom. We need to pray. And you know what? It's okay to pray that Romans 12 part. Put that up here, right? It is okay to say, Lord... I want your wrath on Bobby. That last part is great. Lord, will you please dump burning coals on their head? You don't think you can do that. You can do that. But listen, I want you to pray that. It's okay for your enemies. Just go, Lord, dump burning coals on their head. Just make sure you've done this first. Just make sure that you haven't taken revenge. Make sure that you're leaving room for God's wrath, right? Make sure that you're feeding the hungry, that you're giving drink to the thirsty. If you're doing your part, you can trust Father to do his part. The problem is we're like, I already punished him, Jesus, but it's your turn now. And Jesus is like, no, we're good. But let's talk about your sin. Let's talk about your anger. Let's talk about your injustice. And we do good to our enemies. That means hospitality. Be hospitable to people there. I'm not talking about just not hurting them. I'm talking about doing good because what Jesus did, Jesus didn't just not hurt us. Jesus did eternal, immeasurable good for us. And Jesus ties it up with this. And this is a verse I think we read out of context a lot and it gets muddy, which we like, by the way. This muddy verse that we that we get wrong, I think we like the way you get it because what it says is be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. And we want perfect to mean some set of virtuous behavior because we like that. But this context, be perfect, 
Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect in the context of a conversation about the way that we treat our enemies. If you never again say a cuss word, if you pick up the Hebraic law and are never again unclean and you hate your enemy, you have not done what's required. And so the question for us is, did Jesus mean what he said? And if so, what are we doing about it? Before Jesus called to follow him, he walked for us. Before Jesus told us to love our enemies, he loved us and forgave us, even when we were nailing him to a cross. Again, the problem was that first century audience was much more accustomed to dealing with the fact that they were on the outside than we are. We're used to being inside. We're used to having all of the stuff. But this, remember when Jesus in Matthew 5, 20 said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, this is what surpassing righteousness looks like. Righteousness that goes beyond, because the Pharisees, right, sure, they didn't eat shellfish. All, they didn't have mixed fabrics on their bodies. They just didn't like people. And Jesus was like, you're not right. You don't get it right. God help us if 2,000 years later, we don't learn the same lesson. It's only Jesus. Only Jesus can do that. Listen, if God isn't real, if vengeance is mine, says the Lord, if all of that is not real, which the world system is based on, if Jesus isn't real, then you've got to scratch and claw and fight and get everything you can. You have to. If Jesus isn't real, the kingdom of heaven isn't real. But if the kingdom is real, then Jesus is just waiting for us to trust him enough to let go. And there are all kinds of philical, like, oh, well, what about armies and what about nations? Great, we'll have to talk, talk about that later if you want to. But Jesus is talking to people, to individuals. And so that's my question for you. Where are you with Jesus' teaching? Because what's at stake here is lordship. You know what lordship means? Lord means boss. The question is, what are we going to do about what Jesus says? And Jesus, we confess that this is really hard. I don't understand all of this. I don't know how this works. I don't know how things, I, Jesus, honestly, I feel like I'm gonna get squashed. But here I look at you and this example and you died the most gruesome and horrible death imaginable and yet here you are today alive in this room. And so maybe the lesson for me in this is that what I fear the most isn't really the most fearsome. So Jesus, just forgive me for all of the ways that I choose retaliation in my own strength. Forgive me for all of those Facebook responses that I should have just deleted that I fired off instead. Forgive me for all of those anger fantasies that I sanctified by prayer. Forgive me, Jesus. I want to be like you. May your church hear your word, very difficult word, and may we be unoffendable, and may we not be married to our stuff, and may we not be married to our honor, and may we not be married to our liberty, but may we simply be free to love as you loved. 
Jesus, we ask all of these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. River City Church is all about experiencing and expressing God's love in our lives and community. And we hope that you've been able to experience that today. As grateful as I am that you've spent this time listening in this morning, this podcast is no substitute for full participation in a local church. I love it when River City people listen to other pastors, but it is those who show up week after week, faithfully giving their support and time and resources that make all of this possible. If we can help you get connected to a local church, pray for you, or support you in any way, click the link in the description and let us know. If you'd like to financially support the ministry of River City, click the Give link on our website in the description. Don't forget to subscribe, and don't forget to share this with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. May the Lord bless and keep you in all grace and peace.